Does truth exist? Because you have faith, does that make this book true? Does God exist? So when someone says there is no truth, if you apply the claim to itself, what should you say? Is that true? They don't think Christianity is true. They're talked out of it. You know why they're talked out of it? Because they've never been talked into it. Cross-examining skeptical and atheistic views. Welcome to Cross-Examine with Dr. Frank Turek. Ladies and gentlemen, Phil Robertson, the Duck Commander, is not ashamed of the gospel. Just like the Apostle Paul, unashamed of the gospel. Are you ashamed of the gospel? You shouldn't be. It's the greatest news in the world. And there's a brand new movie called The Blind about Phil Robertson's life that comes out in theaters this weekend, September 28th, September 29th, September 30th. And I was privileged to see this movie a few months ago in pre-screening. It is not a Christian movie. It is a movie with a Christian worldview. This is a powerful story of redemption, and you're going to want to see it. And we have both Phil on the program with us today and also his son, Al Robertson, who many of you know through Duck Dynasty and also Al being a pastor himself and a leader in the pro-life movement. We're just going to talk a little bit about this film without giving away too much because you're going to want to see it for yourself Phil, what was it like when uh, your family came to you and say and said, Dad, Granddad, we want to make a movie about your life? What did you think? I thought they uh, had lost their mind. But uh, <laughs> what they understood was the acts. The, here's the here's the movie in a in a in a nutshell. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious sexual immorality i'm guilty as charged impurity guilty as charged debauchery guilty as charged idolatry witchcraft i never got into witchcraft hatred discord jealousy fits of these are obvious selfish ambition dissensions factions envy drunkenness oh my goodness have i ever been down that road orgies and the like those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's where I was at 28 years old. Now, add about 40 to that, and you say, well, what about now? Listen to this. The fruit of the Spirit, here's the difference between the fruit of the Spirit and the acts of the sinful nature. The, the fruit of the Spirit is Love, what in the world could be wrong with that? Loving God and mm -hmm. loving each other. Uh, against such things, there's no law. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. These acts are obvious. Faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. That's the fruit, what I just read. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. Give me a break. I didn't know these things. I was on with the first group. <laughs> so at 28, I repented and turned 
And my children were aware, especially Al and the next one, Jace, because they were children watching me in action with all my sinful ways. Just think about it. As embarrassing as it can be right now, at the time, I didn't know. Someone comes along to a bar that I was renting, a, a beer joint. He came in there. My little sister talked him into going, and he finally got the gospel to me that God became flesh, died on a cross, was buried and raised from the dead. You can get out of here alive, and all your sins will be removed while you're there. I said, how in the world did I ever miss that? But I missed <laughs> it in between college professors and a bunch of rednecks. So I'm here. The movie's here. It's about what I just got through saying, good and evil, the way out, if you want it, and very, very, very soothing life instead of the first one running around getting drunk, you know, running whores. Well, you Follow have Jesus to have... is a lot better. <clears throat> yeah, you had to have uh, a lot of uh, humility to uh, want to see this made because... I heard you the other day, Phil, on the Blind podcast, and someone asked you, what did you think of the guy that played you? And you said, not much, because he depicted you in a way that you admit is accurate, but you didn't like the guy on the screen, did you? And, and well, Al, I, think he, I think he came out of Britain, came out of England, and he was trying to duplicate me some redneck in north louisiana i said that boy there got got a rough road to hoe <laughs> <laughs> but al how old were you when uh, you're in the movie but how old were you when the split and and we we, we got to say this off the bat you're gonna see in this movie how strong miss k is let me just say that right off the bat but when that there was a breakup you and miss k got married phil and then al you and Jace uh, and Willie were pretty much left alone and your mom had to fend for herself. How much of this do you remember as a kid? Well, I remember all of it, Frank. Uh, and I have to say it was pretty surreal to watch it um, really well done on a movie screen when it's your life, uh, you know, and moments that we've talked about and, you know, told stories about many years, including the night that we all left, you know, dad kicked us out watching that on the screen and remembering the rain falling and, and being in that moment, just the fear. Uh, it was, it was, it was difficult to watch, you know, and to experience again. And so we were in tears, uh, you know, as a part of that, but you know, it was interesting, Frank, because the moments that probably touched me the deepest when I was watching the film was remembering the church, uh, our pastor, you know, the guy that mentored not only dad, but myself and Jace later in life, watching their response to us and their love, my aunt uh, Jan and her ability to impact our family. Uh, those are the ones that touched me the deepest. And, and you're right. The thing I would say the biggest takeaway for the movie from me was mom's optimism and strength. Um, and look, she was so strong up until the point she finally broke. And, and that's in the film as well. But that optimism and the actress that played her, she's also a Brit, she captured it so well. And so really our early years, that's really what, what got us through it. 
And then, of course, when dad, you know, turned around, he literally went from the biggest heathen in South Arkansas to John the Baptist overnight, you know, because he began <laughs> to take what he knew and impact other people. Trust and me, there was a big difference, too. <laughs> what did you say, Phil? I said, was that, big and that was a big difference from, from going from <laughs> one sinful player to the next. I'll tell you that. It, it was the, the movie so well done. That, the reason I said earlier in this program, ladies and gentlemen, it's not a Christian movie is because it's there's no cheese in it. If you know what I mean, it's just telling the raw, unvarnished truth of the life of Phil Robertson and his family. This is before Duck Dynasty, okay? This is how Phil went from uh, kid to meeting Miss Kay to Louisiana Tech to then really rebelling against the Lord and the story of redemption. When you see this film, you're going to say, how could God reach this guy? How did? How could this happen? I mean, look and, at me. Uh, look, look at me right here. I got these whiskers. <laughs> I'm seated here. Would you believe that we started, when we started building duck calls, with the first duck call, we turned about, I, were, I went out there and caught fish. I didn't want to work in town and be a school teacher and all that. So I caught and sold fish. And when, this, when Jesus comes along, I looked up one day and I said, my goodness, Miss Kay whispered in my ear, you're now a millionaire. I'm, I'm like, wow. say what? She said, you're a millionaire. <laughs> well, so, we got much I mean, more I don't know how it affects a lot of people, but I went from a bumbling redneck to a millionaire in a pretty short period of time. Well, hang on, Phil. Hang on. We're going to come back. We're talking to Phil Robertson, Al Robertson, the new movie, The Blind, this weekend. You got to see it this weekend. We're back in two minutes. Don't go anywhere. If you're low on the FM dial looking for national public radio, go no further. You're never going to hear this on NPR. We're having too much fun and too much truth here in this podcast because I'm talking to the Duck Commander himself, Phil Robertson, and Pastor Al Robertson. We're talking about the brand new movie in theaters this week, the weekend of uh, September 29th. It's guaranteed to be in theaters this weekend. Maybe not next weekend, ladies and gentlemen. The movie's called The Blind. Double meaning. You get it, right? Phil's operating out of a blind to, to, to uh, shoot ducks. But he was blind for a while before he became a Christian. And this movie, The Blind, powerfully depicts that. You're not going to want to miss it. Go to the theater this weekend and see it. Bring a friend. Bring a non-Christian friend. And you're never going to be embarrassed about this movie. It's not a Christian movie. It's not made by people who are trying to sell a message. It's trying to. It's a movie made by true filmmakers who are telling a story. And it's a powerful story of redemption. Now, I know some of our viewers and listeners, uh, Al, are wondering... Well, we're not Duck Dynasty's not in production anymore. What else is going on? There there is a podcast. You guys have a very highly rated podcast. I've been privileged to be on it. What else is happening in the world of the Robertson family? Well, you know, it is amazing because you said it, the movie The Blind, you know, I thought about it from from the a duck blind to then our entire culture. 
and that's really what's happened. I mean, uh, you know, Duck Dynasty was just like you described in your intro. It was also not a Christian show, but it was a show with a Christian worldview. And it was very successful. And I think mm -hmm. that's a great message for people that you don't have to be preachy. You can be funny and you can be who you are just as long as Christ is the Lord of your life and the center. And so we've lived with that. And so the 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 show and now this movie uh, have built a platform for us. And the, and the podcast continues to do that. I mean, we're just having a big old Bible study. Dad had a show on Blaze and they said, would you guys be willing to do a podcast and make it about the Bible? And I was like, dude, you're speaking our language. And so it's just a Robertson <laughs> Bible study, uh, but it's impacting literally hundreds of thousands of people every week. And uh, we have them come to West Monroe and just turn themselves into Jesus. You know, they just come and say, the, the podcast has led me to a relationship with Christ. It's renewed my interest in who Jesus is. There's person after person after person. Many of them are baptized at our church, which we encourage. We say, hey, come on. Dad does an unashamed Bible study every Sunday, and uh, we invite people to come to that. So we've just basically used our ministry abilities uh, to do what God has blessed us with by just being people who have always loved the Lord since dad and mom became Christians. And we're just there in North Louisiana. We still have fun. I still live on the same street with all my brothers. None of that has changed, but we get to speak all over the country. Lisa and I travel around, do a lot on, on behalf of pro-life um, as well as marriage. And so it's just been a, it's been a great blessing what we continue to do for the kingdom. Well, I can tell you, Phil, just before the break was talking about he became a millionaire with duck calls. But I can guarantee you, ladies and gentlemen, I've been to the lair. The money has not gone to anybody's head because <laughs> we're, we're out in the woods, man, in this big box doing podcasts. And there's mud and there's there's uh, there's ATVs and there's fishing nets and all sorts. It's just Nothing's changed, man. You guys are still out there being who you are. And that's why it's refreshing. That's why one of the reasons I think the podcast is so successful. You guys are just Christians living it out. Phil, did you ever think you'd be doing a podcast on the Bible all the time? How did, how did that? I mean, it you, you got to be in your element doing it. It never entered my mind. I love what John the Apostle said. In the beginning was the word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him, all things were made. Just think about this. Without Him, nothing has been made that has been made. And that life, He is life. His, his, in Him was life. And that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness but the darkness has not understood it. So we're there just to point people to Jesus and tell them, look, it's not rocket science. You don't have to be a brain and, and, and get bored with scriptures. It's alive. It's, it's, uh, mm. it's, it's love for the one who made the cosmos and formed us in our mother's womb, the one that took away all our sins, guaranteeing we could live beyond the grave. You just think about it. What in the world do you have to lose? Mm. Everything to gain. Eternal life. Mm. Mm. I'm like, I've had enough of this drunkenness crap, so I'm going to follow Jesus for a while. I looked at the information that that preacher gave me back in that bar all those years ago, you know, 40-something years, and I really thank him for just giving me that, the information about Jesus. 
I said, let me check this out because I told the preacher, because this sounds too good to be true. So I've got to, I got to check your, your figures here and what, what you say, and I've got to look at it. So I was shocked that so much had been done for me, and I was too dumb to see it. The movie will show you all of these scenes that we're talking about right now, ladies and gentlemen. Again, the movie's called The Blind. It's in theaters this coming weekend, the 29th, the weekend of the 29th of September. Guaranteed to be in certain theaters for the first weekend. But you got to go see it to make sure other people will see it the following weekend. Bring your non-Christian friends. As I said earlier, this is a movie, a powerful story of redemption. It's not a Christian movie trying to you know, sell you something. It's just telling a story, a true story of the redemption of Phil Robertson and then the entire family. I mean, think of the ripple effect that that one preacher had, Phil, on you. He tells you the gospel, you come to faith, and then the entire world around the Robertson clan is changed upside down, which helped affect so many other millions of people through the ministry that you and all of your sons and daughters and granddaughters have had since then. Yeah, see, if you just look around at your neighbors and when you talk with them, listen to this. Finally, be strong in the Lord. This is a Paul to the Ephesians. And in his mighty power, put on the full armor of God so you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Our struggle's not against flesh and blood. That's what people just misunderstand about these evil powers at work, mm -hmm. but against the rulers, against the authorities, it's organized, uh, all this, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil and the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of coming uh, is coming your way, you can stand, you can stand. Mm -hmm. So that, yeah. look at our culture. And if you can't see what the problem is, we're disintegrating as fellow human beings. We've lost the ability to love one another and love our God. And now we're reaping what's, what we're sowing. And uh, it's a sad thing to watch. I, I, I beg of the people that, that watch this movie, whatever it takes to get you back on track, I'm for it. We love you. We're doing this because we love our neighbor and love our God. You know, well, and Frank, hey, there's, Frank, there's, um, a, uh, Frank yeah, there's another theme from the movie that's really powerful, and it's not giving up on people who have the potential to do great things. They just hadn't figured it out yet. My Aunt Jan, Dad's younger mm. sister, told people, if we can lead my brother to Christ, he will lead hundreds, if not thousands, to Christ. She saw that. And I don't know that she was a prophetess, but I know one thing. She was right. And so I just think that speaks so much volumes to people and families. You've got a prodigal son out there. You've got somebody you know has great potential. Don't give up on them. You keep praying. You keep putting things in front of them. And when they're ready and make that turn, there's no telling what they can do for the kingdom. And so I saw that with my own dad, but my aunt was such a big influence in our lives. And we went to visit the set, mom and dad and Lisa and I. It was interesting because they had a set. There was an old bar that was there in Shreveport, and they had converted that into four different bars. To your point about it not being a Christian movie, I mean, there are four different bars that are featured in this movie, 
because that's where dad's life was in his 20s. But now, the instead of a bar, it's the idea of an ability to impact people in our culture. So that's what God can do. So you never limit God and never limit the potential that's in people. Yeah, that's well said. And Al, when you're watching this movie, you were a kid when all this was happening. That's where the movie set back uh, 40 or so years ago. Right. When you watched it, what surprised you about it? Is there anything that you went, wow, I didn't know that, or or I just relived that and forgot about it? What was surprising about the movie and his life that you You know, I, I think it was, it was amazing for me to remember what it was like for mom and dad to be so young. Uh, you know, I was raised, literally, they had me, mom just turned 17, and dad was 19, and they were he was playing college football. And so I was raised on a college campus. Uh, by teenagers. So it's a miracle that I'm even alive to this day. You know, when I look back and I think about it, so, <laughs> so wa- watching some of those early moments and when we first went to that bar and what it was like for all of us to be a part of it and the movie depicts it really well, it just, it took me back and it just reminded me of our youth, you know, and, and, and the things that are there. And so it was a uh, very well done. Uh, the the acting in it is very good. The cinematography in it is beautiful. It reminds me so much of my childhood of being in the woods there in North Louisiana. And so I think people are going to really be surprised at how well this uh, this picture was made and also how well it was acted. And Zach Dasher, who is Phil's nephew, I guess your cousin, had a lot to do with it as well. Uh, Phil, did did anything surprise you in seeing your story on the big screen? Not really. Not, not, I wasn't surprised. Uh, I knew where I'd been. It, it was embarrassing from start to finish for me to watch my ungodly behavior. But it occurred to me, maybe if they see their behavior with love joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control right beside it. If they look at their behavior and then look at the fruit of the Spirit, surely they will have second thoughts and say, you know what, I, I, need, to, I need to learn to how to, to behave. I mean, it's, our culture is just running amok, and it's a, it's a mm-hmm. sad thing to watch, very sad. We love them, and that's what we're trying to do is help them. Every one of well, this movie will, this movie will, will help people see the beauty of redemption and what Christ can do in a life. Yep. The movie again is called The Blind. It is in theaters this weekend, September 29th. Please go see it this weekend. Bring a friend, whether they're Christian or not. Bring as many non-Christians as you can because it's going to be a powerful story of redemption. And then you can talk about it afterwards. And if you're ever near West Monroe. Louisiana, you can see Phil preaching down there. Gentlemen, thanks so much for being on the show. Thank you, Frank. Good to see you. All right, that's Phil Robertson and Al Robertson. Great seeing you guys. And I'll be back with some Q&A right after this. Don't go anywhere. It's always good to have Phil Robertson and Al Robertson on the podcast. Their Unashamed podcast does very well among Christian podcasts. In fact, among all podcasts, you ought to check them out. They're always talking about the Bible. Great to have them on. See their movie this week in theaters this weekend. It's called The Blind. Now, let me get to some of your questions 
John writes in and says, Frank, my daughter asks asked me, how can a person be in heaven with complete joy and with no more tears when they know a close family member is suffering in hell? I don't know how to adequately adequately respond. Please help me give her an answer. Well, first of all, let's talk about the nature of hell itself. What is hell? Uh, I think probably the best description of hell, literal description of hell, is what Paul says when he writes in 2 Thessalonians uh, chapter 1. So let's go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Paul says in verse 3, we ought to always to thank God for you. He's, He's introducing the letter right here. He says, we ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more, and the love all of you have for one another is increasing. Therefore, among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and trials you are enduring. All this is evidence that God's judgment is right. And as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. Let me stop right here. Notice that this letter, and just about every letter in the New Testament, particularly the epistles, address suffering. Why would they be addressing suffering? Because the early Christians are suffering, which puts the lie to this prosperity gospel nonsense that uh, you shouldn't suffer here, that if you just have enough faith, you're going to be healthy and wealthy. Look, the early church uh, fathers... The people that lived in the first century and beyond, they suffered routinely. And it's expected that you will suffer. Jesus said, if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. He said, uh, I've had trouble in this world. You're going to have trouble in this world. But take heart, I've overcome the world. Paul said, anyone who lives a faithful life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So you will suffer here on earth. By the way, you're going to suffer Certainly, because you are a Christian, uh, you're going to be persecuted. And even if you're not a Christian, you're going to suffer. In fact, that is why Christ had to come, because this world is infused with evil, and we brought it into the world by doing evil. Christianity is the answer to the problem of evil. God takes evil upon himself. He takes our punishment upon himself. And that is the answer, the ultimate answer to the problem of evil. And the problem we all have, because we're about to see here in a minute, that we all deserve judgment. Anyway, in verse 6, here's what Paul says. God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you. He is just. He is going to right all wrongs and pay back people that have done evil. Because that's what justice is. God is infinitely just, so he cannot allow injustice to go unpunished, ultimately. Paul continues, God is just, he will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to you who are troubled, and to us as well. So Paul is saying us as well. He's probably writing, uh, maybe with Luke at his side or someone else. He's been suffering himself. The great apostle himself is suffering. He talks about that at length as well, as you know. Paul goes on to say, this will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. Now, no, in this sense, doesn't mean just intellectually no. It means to know relationally, not just to believe that God 
is not, or let me just put it another way, not just to believe that God or Jesus is the Savior, but to trust in him. That's true knowing. If you if you know that God exists, well, even the demons know that, as James says. Even the demons know that God exists and tremble. But Paul is talking about knowing him in a relational way, trusting in him as your Savior. The people who do not trust in him, who do not know him in that way, they will be punished. And here is the key verse, the key passage on hell. Verse 9, 2 Thessalonians uh, chapter 1, verse 9 says, They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. And it continues, On that day he comes to be glorified, in his holy people and to be marveled at by among all those who have believed this includes you because you have believed our testimony to you so they will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the lord and the glory of his might all hell is ultimately separation from god you're going to be shut out look if there is an afterlife and there is there's only two possible destinations. You're either going to be with god in the afterlife or be separated from god in the afterlife. There's no other logical possibility. Paul says you're going to be shut out. Now, the God uses, or I should say the Bible uses many metaphors to describe separation from God. Some of them are conflicting. For example, one says it's going to be a furnace of fire. Another says it's going to be outer darkness. Well, they seem to be contradictory as metaphors yeah, because they are metaphors, but they're referring to something literal, something more terrible than being just in outer darkness or in fire. So hell is described as being lost in outer darkness, a furnace of fire, a perpetually burning dump, a bottomless pit, separation from God. In fact, we have a we have a, a, a short mini course on this at, at onlinechristiancourses.com. Just go to just go to uh, crossexamine.org, click on online courses, you'll see it there. It's like a two-week course on on the issue of hell. It's a place of anguish and regret. It's a place where the worm doesn't die and the fire is not quenched. It's a place of torment, not torture, torment. It's a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth where you continually are in opposition to God, gnashing your teeth at God. So hell is a terrible place. It's not a place any of us want to go, but it's a place we send ourselves because we are sinful and we haven't accepted the pardon that Christ has provided. Oh, is God going to send you to hell just because you don't believe in Jesus? No! It's not just because you don't believe in Jesus. You go to hell because you've sinned. You don't go to hell because you just don't believe in Jesus. I mean, it is a sin not to trust in Jesus, but that's not the only sin you've committed. You've committed many sins. And to say you go to hell because you don't believe in Jesus would be like saying you died because you didn't go to the doctor. No, the reason you died is because you had a disease. Maybe you could have prevented dying by going to a doctor, but the reason you died is because you had a disease. And it's similarly true when it comes to our final state. You die because you sin. You, you go to hell because you sin, not because you haven't accepted Jesus, although that is another sin. Maybe the greatest of all sins. But even if you, even if Jesus, suppose Jesus never came, you would still go to hell because you had other sins. Because that's what punishment 
does. It separates you from the ultimate source of goodness, righteousness, and justice. It is punishment for the sins that you have committed. It's just. And the reason you go to hell is because God will not force you into heaven against your will. It's not just because you haven't believed in Jesus, but you've sinned and you don't want Jesus. You want to be separate from God. Now, maybe you could prevent going to hell by going to the great physician, Jesus. But the reason ultimately you're going to hell is because you've sinned. Because that's what justice demands. So, the question then is, from John and his daughter, is how can you, how can you enjoy heaven knowing that you have loved ones in hell? I, I remember C.S. Lewis putting it this way, hell cannot veto heaven. Because if you're in heaven and you know that loved ones are in hell, first of all, you're consumed by the grace and majesty of God in heaven. Nothing can veto that. Nothing can diminish that. But secondly, you also intellectually know that the people who are in hell justly deserve to be there and wouldn't want to be in heaven. Look, at the end of the day, you get only one of two things. You get either justice or you get grace. That's it. Personally, I don't want justice. Because I've been unjust. I'm, a, I'm, I'm unjust or unjust every day of my life. And so I deserve punishment. But I accept the grace that God has provided because he loved us all. And while we were still sinners, Christ loved us. That's why he went to the cross for us. So I'm accepting the pardon. I'm accepting the free gift of salvation. And if... God offers a pardon to all people, and he does, and only some accept it. That's not God's fault. That's the fault of the people who don't accept it. So God has provided a way out, and justice is what we deserve, but grace is what we get if we accept the free gift of salvation that Christ has provided. Justice is a good thing. It is right and proper when people get justice and exactly the right amount of justice they should get for the sins they've committed. There will be levels of punishment in hell, just like there will be levels of reward in heaven because God is just. God isn't going to punish the average sinner on the same level as, say, Hitler, because that wouldn't be just. But God would, will met out the appropriate level of justice based on the sin each individual person can, uh, each each individual person commits so when you're in heaven you know intellectually that is just and the people that are there would not want to be in heaven they might not want to be in hell either but heaven would be hell for them and when i get back from the break i'm going to unpack this a little bit further you're listening to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist with me, Frank Turek, on the American Family Radio Network. And uh, we have some courses that are coming up that can help you deal with this and many other issues. One is Train Your Brain, which is a sixth for 6th to 8th graders in the premium version. But if you've never had a course in logic, you want to take that course in the self-paced version, 
no matter what age you are. It starts October 2nd if you want to be in the premium version. Those are for 6th to 8th graders. Could be 5th to 9th. We're not going to check your birth certificate or your you know your 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 age here we just want to have young people in that course because they need to know how to think not just what to feel and then a few weeks later i'm starting a verse by verse course in galatians we're going to go through the mini romans that's what galatians is verse by verse i hope you can be a part of it go to crossexamine.org click on online courses you'll see it there and i'm back in just two minutes with more on hell Ladies and gentlemen, if there was no hell, there would be no need for Jesus to come. If we weren't sinners, Christ died in vain. In fact, he says that in Galatians chapter 2, does Paul. He said, if righteousness could be accomplished by the law, then Christ died in vain. We're going to unpack the book of Galatians verse by verse. Luther called it a mini Romans. It is. It's probably Paul's first book that he ever wrote, probably in about 50 AD. And we uncover a lot of insights in that uh, tremendous book, only six chapters long, as you know, but it's packed with uh, great theological, philosophical, and even apologetic insights. So I hope you can join us for the Galatians course coming up here later in October. But today, we're talking about this issue of hell. And uh, we, just before the break, uh, we're talking about what hell is and uh, what it isn't. It's not a torture ta- chamber. It's it's torment. And torment, by the way, is more internally administered rather than externally administered. Uh, torture is someone punishing you from the outside, where torment is regret, but not repentance. You regret something, but you don't repent of it. You kind of double down on it anyway. And it ultimately becomes the fact that you sort of lose yourself in it. In fact, C.S. Lewis, both Tim Keller and C.S. Lewis have written on this, I think, pretty profoundly. Tim Keller in The Reason for God said, a common image of hell in the Bible is that of fire. Fire disintegrates. Even in this life, we can see the kind of soul disintegration that self-centeredness creates. We know how selfishness and self-absorption leads to piercing bitterness, nauseating envy, paralyzing anxiety, paranoid thoughts, and the mental denials and distortions that accompany them. Now ask the question, what if when we die, we don't end, but spiritually our life extends on into eternity? Hell then is the trajectory of the soul, living a self-absorbed, self-centered life going on and on forever. Yeah, there's a point where you make a choice and you're rejecting God and you continue to reject God and sin in hell. And you're separated, therefore, from the ultimate source of goodness. Hell ultimately is a quarantine of evil that keeps the people that want to continually sin against God away from those who want to rejoice in God. C.S. Lewis put it this way, hell begins with a grumbling mood, always complaining, always blaming others, but you are still distinct from it. You may even criticize it in yourself and wish you could stop it, but there may come a day when you can no longer, then there will be no you left to criticize the mood or even to enjoy it. But, to, but just the grumble itself going on forever like a machine. It is not a question of God sending us to hell. In each of us, there will there is something growing which will be hell unless it is nipped in the bud. Randy Alcorn, who wrote a, uh, a seminal book on heaven, put it this way. 
And think about this in the context of knowing your loved ones are in hell. Alcorn said this. He said, although it will be inevitably, it will, it will inevitably sound harsh, I offer this thought. He says, in a sense, none of our loved ones will be in hell. Only some whom we once loved, our love for our companions in heaven will be directly linked to God, the central object of our love. We will see him in them. We will not love those in hell because when we see Jesus as he is, we will love only and will only want to love whoever and whatever pleases and glorifies and reflects him. What we loved in those who died without Christ was God's beauty. We once saw in them. When God forever withdraws from them, I think they'll no longer bear his image and no longer reflect his beauty. Although they will still be the same people, without God, they'll be stripped of all the qualities we love. Therefore, paradoxically, in a sense, they will not be the people we loved. Now, he goes on to say, this is speculative. He says, I cannot prove biblically what I've just stated, but I think it rings true, even if the thought is horrifying. And he goes on to say, not only in heaven, but also while we are still here on earth, our God is the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. Second Corinthians 1.3, he says, any sorrows that plague us now will disappear on the new earth, as surely as darkness disappears when the light is turned on. He will wipe away their tear from their eyes, neither will there be mourning, crying, or pain, Revelation 21.4. So by definition, when you're in heaven, there will be no mourning, crying, or pain, and you will know intellectually that the people that you knew have accepted their fate because they've sinned and they've rejected the Christ that died for them. In fact, um, somebody uh, in the uh, the little short we put out for the last uh, podcast we did, and for those of you listening on the American Family Radio Network, we do a podcast midweek that you, you, it's not broadcast on AFA. You have to go to the I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist podcast to hear it. And it was about, uh, it, it's titled Approve Me or Else, Approve of Me or Else. It has to do with people who are saying, you know, use my pronouns or else I'll cut you off. You know, uh, recognize my new gender and otherwise I'll never speak to you again, mom or dad, that kind of thing. And we went through all that in the last podcast. And one skeptic said, well, isn't that what Christianity does? Doesn't Christianity say where God says approve of me or else? Well, no, not really. It's not about just approving God. As I mentioned earlier, it's about paying the moral crimes you have committed. Justice demands that either you are going to pay or someone else is going to pay. And if God is just, someone else must pay. Otherwise, God is not just. And if God isn't just, then justice doesn't exist. Yet everybody I know out there in society, even non-Christians are demanding justice. Notice that everyone demands justice here on earth, especially the so-called progressives. They are all about what they define as justice. We need justice on race. We need justice on sexuality. We need justice uh, on economics, which means everybody must somehow make the same amount. That's their distorted view of justice, that everyone must make the same amount. But they think it's justice and they're demanding it. Here's my question. Why do they get to demand justice, even distorted justice, but God does not? Does God have the right to demand justice? Not only the right, but the obligation. Otherwise, he's not just and there is no justice. 
If God doesn't punish sin, there is no justice. And he's not infinitely just. By the way, this is why Jesus is the only way. It's not an arbitrary claim. When, when Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, no man comes to the Father except through me, except through me, except through me. When he says that, it's not an arbitrary claim. He's claiming there's no other way an infinitely just being can allow unjust creatures like me and you to go unpunished. If he were to allow us to go unpunished, then he wouldn't be just. That's why he has to punish it in its substitute in our place. That's why Paul says in Romans 3.26, God remains just and is the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. It's philosophically sound, or let me put it another way, it's philosophically unavoidable that either God punishes sinners or he punishes an innocent substitute in sinner's place. That's why Jesus is the only way. And God must exist for justice to exist. So while all these people out there who claim to be progressives are claiming they're for justice, they... A, have a distorted view of justice, and B, deny God's justice. They also deny his atonement, which is the only way we can be forgiven. Otherwise, again, God isn't just. So, we have to rely on the justice of God. Uh, and when we do rely on the justice of God, or let me put it another way, we have to acknowledge the justice of God, but we rely on the grace of God so we are not punished. So there's much more that could be said here about this topic, and I'm running out of time here. Maybe we'll pick it up in a future podcast. But the idea that when God says um, he's come and provided a way out that pardon is available to everybody and it's not unjust of god to offer that pardon to everybody he does we experience our punishment due us if we don't accept that pardon that's our fault it's not god's and the people that sin deserve justice they can get grace if they accept the pardon if they reject the pardon that's on them it's not on god and if we're in heaven and we know that we can only say they made their choice notice by the way that the guy in uh luke 16 the rich man in in hades he's saying go warn my brothers about this place but he's not claiming he doesn't deserve to be there he may not like being there but he's not saying oh Bring me to heaven. He's just saying, warn other people about this place. And of course, Jesus says, look, they got Moses and the prophets. If they don't believe Moses and the prophets, they're not even going to believe if someone rises from the dead. So the person in Hades, the rich man in Hades, still has the same attitude. He's treating Lazarus as his servant. Sorry, I couldn't go through this. didn't have time. But if you read Luke 16, you can read about this. He's still treating Lazarus as his servant. He still thinks that he somehow is righteous and uh, he can boss Lazarus around. He doesn't want to be in hell, but he doesn't want the alternative either. So hell is a just place. We shouldn't want to go there, but some of us will choose to go there if we don't get coverage for the punishment that we're due. 
And Jesus has provided that grace, that coverage. Now, we got a lot coming up uh, in the next few weeks, ladies and gentlemen. I'll be at UNC Wilmington uh, on the 5th. That's this coming Thursday, or next Thursday, I should say, for I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. It will be podcasted, or I should say live streamed. And then we're going to do the SES Steadfast National Conference on Apologetics. I'll be there. Gary Habermas will be there. Jay Richards, many others. Check our website for more. And then the 19th, we'll be out at Ohio State University for I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. Again, check all that on our website. And Lord willing, I will see you here next week. God bless.